Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. You, O Lord, are more wonderful than our lips can proclaim. When we consider the awesome works of your hands, your love for us is more than amazing. You have trusted us with the whole of the earth and put everything we see under the care of our hands. 
Lord, O sovereign Lord, the earth is filled with your glory. In your holy name we pray. Good morning and welcome to our service of worship of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. It is wonderful to have all of you here with us. I am Megan Lecluse, and this morning I am joined in leading worship by our liturgist Fran Kramer and Anderson and our musicians as well. We hope that you will stay for a time of fellowship after the service, which will be in Old Buttonwood Hall which is air-conditioned, even though we are grateful for a cooler sanctuary this morning than we had the last few weeks. Um, Old Buttonwood Hall is right down that door, or through that door down the hallway into the big room at the end. A few upcoming events to call your attention to. There is a volunteer opportunity next Saturday with Urban Tree, and an organ recital next Sunday, and you can find out more about these and other upcoming opportunities on the back of your bulletin or on our church website. Let us now continue our service of worship with our prayer of confession. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ even prays for us. With such assurance, we need not fear confession, but simply draw to our maker in candor first together, and then in silence. God of love, when your children suffer, are displaced, persecuted, or worse, your heart is saddened. You cry out for justice. Your apathy dulls our hearts, and we do not speak out. Forgive us. When we are slow to respond and lives are lost, Forgive us. Give us a heart for justice and a prophetic voice that the world might see your love in action through our lives and words. Hear us, we offer our own prayers. again, O people, to the Lord who always loves you. Remember God's loving mercies and faithfulness. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first lesson today is from Hebrews 11, 
beginning at verse 29, continuing where we left off last week, and going through chapter 12, verse 2. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Our second lesson today is from Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two, and two against three they will be divided. Father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, 
and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret this present time? Our third reading comes to us from the prophet Isaiah in the fifth chapter, starting at the first verse. I will sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded rotten grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield rotten grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a wasteland. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the, people of, is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are God's cherished garden. God expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Eventually, I just gave up. The basil had a mind of its own. 
Probably about seven years ago, some of the students and I built these two little raised garden beds in a corner of the Christian Association's parking lot. We were doing a life skills series, and I thought this would be a good way to do some basic construction skills, including measuring and marking with a tape measure, cutting using a circular saw, and hammering and nailing the beds together. Once we had done this, we attempted to grow a few things that fall and here or there since then. But then in 2020, looking for something to do in the midst of COVID, Annie and I started actually using these garden beds. It's really Annie, my sister's project. She is much more knowledgeable about plants than I am. And I'm around to help water and since it's at my work case, do some of the tending. This year, the basil was prolific. Our freezer is full of pesto, and I love pesto. That's a good thing. It will last us for a while. But as the summer went on, the basil kept getting harder and harder to control and to manage. It needed more and more pulling of things off to keep them from budding, and eventually I just gave up and let it go wild. I figure if we want more basil, we will pull it out and, let, and plant some new basil. But when I read this week's passage from Isaiah about the vine grower letting the vineyard go because it wasn't behaving the way that the grower wanted it to, it made me think of our basil. It started out so well, and then it went rogue. There is no way to sugarcoat it. This week's texts are not easy texts. They are also not texts that we can just ignore and pretend that they don't exist because we feel the truth in them deep down. Faith and discipleship are a both-and kind of thing. Yes, following God, being a disciple means living a life full of grace, where we can find comfort in following the Good Shepherd. It means Sabbath and renewal. It means Jesus offering us a yoke that Jesus tells us is light and easy. And, and it means choosing a path that can be hard, really hard. It means often being countercultural, calling out injustices where we see them, even when it is unpopular, following where God calls us to, whether it is an easy place to go or not. It can mean making choices that some of the people we love the most simply will not understand. It's saying that each and every day, we want to make ourselves better disciples than we were the day before. Something I'll admit that I have never quite figured out what to do with is the idea of what does God expect from us. Expect feels like a strong word. Both today and during the time of scripture, we have tried to use human attributes to understand God. 
And I don't know if whether thinking about God having expectations for us is something that is true or if it's us ascribing human attributes to God. But it is clear that God has hopes for us and for how we will choose to live our lives. That's part of what makes the end of the Isaiah text feel like such a gut punch as we see the truth of it revealed time and time again in all the atrocities that have been carried out over the centuries in God's name. God expected justice, but saw bloodshed. God expected righteousness, but heard a cry. I will say that in this verse, it is the prophet's intent not just to deliver this hard truth, but to do so through some clever writing. Reverend James Howell points out how this text features wickedly harsh wordplay. Howell writes that if we look at the Hebrew, God looked for mishpat, justice, but found only mishpash, bloodletting. God sought zedekah, righteousness, but found only zaka, a yelp of pain. Understanding the Hebrew wordplay makes this a rich text in a way that doesn't translate so well into English. Still, Powell continues, these are memorable, haunting words that cannot have been well received by the smug who first heard them. In this passage from Isaiah, the prophet is singing not of an actual vineyard, but about the vineyard God had created with the people of Israel. God did all God could so that the people would bear good fruit, but instead they chose other ways. The same could be said for so many situations from that day down through today, when God creates fertile soil for us to bear good fruit. And instead, we humans yield rotten grapes. This passage is talking about a community as a whole, and that matters. But I imagine each of us, if we are honest with our Creator, knows we have produced some less than good fruit in our own time. So what happens if some of the Israelites being described in Isaiah chose to change their ways, go against the stream of their society, probably against what even their family might be doing, and instead chose to seek God and God's ways. It probably would lead to the kind of situation that Jesus is describing. In the, feast, in the Feasting on the Word commentary, Audrey West writes that this passage in Luke is best understood in light of the whole gospel story. That this passage is descriptive rather than prescriptive, the passage from Luke about families being divided. Jesus does not intend to destroy relationships, West says, but this sort of rupture can be the result of the changes engendered by Christ's work. 
The text in Luke goes intimate, talking about parents and children, spouses and in-laws. And for some, faith has and will create divides within our own families. I imagine for some of us, we haven't experienced it quite that close to home, though some here have. And I know that people worry about creating ruptures, about their faith creating ruptures in their broader lives all the time. I think about the students who have shared with me that they told their friends they were going to a club meeting when they were coming to the CA, instead of telling their friends they were going to a campus ministry. And they tell me that because they are wrestling with what that means about them and their faith. Do they want to risk what people will think if they know they are Christian? Are they truly living a life of discipleship if they do not? I don't have a simple answer for them or for us here today, but I imagine you may have found yourself in similar situations be it with friends, colleagues, supervisors, or maybe even family. What Jesus describes can be incredibly painful. I was looking back at a sermon I preached a few years ago on Matthew's version of this text, and I wish I remembered the details of a story I included. At that time, someone had recently told me that they had a friend ask them how they were going to be spending their Sunday. And they described for their friend that they would be going to church and then helping out a few members from the church with some tasks that they needed some assistance with. The person who had asked the question responded that they thought that that sounded like a dreadful day. While I don't remember who this was or the details, the heaviness of the scenario still hits me. I don't know if the friend who was asking the question was reacting to the church part, the part about helping out one's neighbors, or both. But how revealing is that comment? Jesus is sharing that choosing to follow him means that there will be consequences. And he's not shying away from the fact that some of those consequences may be painful. As I sat with the text this week, one that calls us out for the ways we have not always lived into the hopes God has for us and the fruit we will bear, the other that describes the challenging realities that a life of discipleship can lead to. I wondered where the hope in these texts is. Where is the good news for us? While I am sure that there are many pieces of good news, Presbyterians tend to like the number three. It's a nice triune number. So I am going to offer three of the places that I find good news in these challenging texts. First, I find good news in the freedom that is found in truth-telling. God's followers have always messed up and always kept striving. We are not the first to mess up, nor will we be the last. 
Can you imagine if the scriptures we read were about people who lived perfect little lives and followed God perfectly? I imagine if that's what we were reading every Sunday, most of us would throw our hands up and be like, I'm not even going to try because I can't achieve that. Instead, we find people like us in these stories. People struggling and working at it. That great cloud of witnesses referred to in the Hebrews text, they are part of what allows us to continue to persevere because that great cloud of witnesses made their own mistakes. I also find comfort in Jesus saying this is going to be hard and probably even painful because when it does feel that way, and it does sometimes, Jesus saying that reminds us that it doesn't feel that way because we're doing something wrong. It reminds us, again, that we are not the first to experience this. Jesus' own family didn't understand what he was preaching. And in those moments where we feel ostracized by our faith, we can know that Jesus is with us in that. The second place I find good news is that while plants may get to a place that they cannot be saved, the same is never true of humans. God can always redeem us. Isaiah talks about giving up on the vineyard. I gave up on my basil. But God never, never gives up on us. Forgiveness abounds, grace abounds, love abounds. This is amazing news. And third, the good news is that we are reminded of God's love, God's grace, each and every time we come to this table. The table where we are invited to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. The table where we see what happens when the vine produces good grapes. It's the table where we join with that great cloud of witnesses to celebrate in the banquet that God has prepared for us. To nourish us for the road ahead. We are reminded of God's love for us. Christ's love for us, and we are told that at this table, all are welcome. A life of faith can be hard. It can be, it is demanding. And it will have consequences that can be challenging to work through. But we have been given good fruit, and when we come to the table to partake in the life of Christ, we, in turn, can bear good fruit in the world. I don't know what each of you need today, whether you need words of challenge, some pruning off of some dried branches, or whether you need words of comfort, some fertilizer for the soil of your life, or maybe some of both. But I do know that we are all called to bear good fruit. And I know that even when discipleship is hard, God will be with us, inviting us to the table to be fed and nourished. I know that with God, even when things seem hard, there is always good news. Amen.
us affirm our faith together with the ancient baptismal creed of the church. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Remembering that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God, let us return to God the gifts of what we have taken from God's abundance and the prayers of our hearts with our morning offering.
to accept our offerings to you, that they may be used for your work in the life of our church, in our community and city, and in our world. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. Scripture tells us that they will come from north and south and from east and west to sit at table in God's kingdom. According to Luke, when our risen Lord was at table with his disciples, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This is not our church's table. It is not a Presbyterian table. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites all those who trust in him to share in the feast which he has prepared. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, eternal and triune God, whom we worship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ, you spoke the word that brought the world into being. By the Holy Spirit, you brought order out of chaos and breathed life into your creatures. In parental love, you stood by us in spite of our disobedience correcting us with gracious reproof, and welcoming us again into your loving embrace. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with choirs of angels and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Born of Mary, he came to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. To all who believed, he gave power to become your children. In ministry among your own, Jesus cared for all, forgiving their failures, healing their hurts, and nurturing their faith giving himself in utter sacrifice for those he loved. He inspired ordinary folk to spirit-filled living and displayed in his life 
death, and rising again, the power of your spirit. Remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we await the day of his coming. With thanksgiving, we offer our very selves to you to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Nurture us at this table, O God, that we may grow to the stature of Jesus Christ. Help us to love you above all else and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, demonstrating that love in deed and word toward all your children. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Hear these prayers along with the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We remember that on the night before he died on the cross, Jesus was gathered around the table, having dinner with his disciples. He took the bread gave it thanks and blessed it, and broke it, and shared it with them, saying, Take and eat, all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat it, do so in remembrance of me. After supper, he took a cup of wine, and he shared that with his disciples, too, saying, Drink this, all of you. This cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are invited to remember and proclaim the saving life, death, and resurrection of our risen Lord until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
God, thank you for feeding us with the bread of life and the cup of the resurrection. Now send us out into the world to tell everyone about your love. Amen. we leave this place, may you go challenged, fed, and nourished to bear God's good fruit in the world. And may you go with the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, this day and every day. Amen. Amen.